Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see you. Open our hearts that we may receive your word. Open our minds to your understanding. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone who listens to Fox News or watches Fox News or Rebel News is a hateful bigot, a misogynist, a homophobe, and the worst kind of person, a truck-supporting, Trump-supporting lunatic. Everyone who listens or watches CNN or CBC is a bleeding-heart socialist, an elitist who has their head so far up their posterior that they don't know how the real world works. They probably are someone who thinks they know better than others, but we all know the truth. This is actually a measurable scientific phenomenon. And just so I get the wording right, it is called motive attribution asymmetry. Motive attribution asymmetry. And it basically works like this. I am a loving, caring, compassionate children. I believe X, Y, and Z on these issues. And anyone who believes differently, who believes A, B, or C, is obviously and must be, by definition, unloving. Because I am a loving person, they hold a different perspective, therefore they are unloving. This is the means of political discourse in our country, in the United States, and has been for some time. In fact, this way of attributing to our enemies the worst possible motives has been the way of humankind. This is our default position. Of course I'm loving. And of course anyone who disagrees with me is hateful. Of course they are. Because how could they be otherwise? Because my motives are good. Their motives are obviously evil. We all do this. And I do this not to point fingers at you, I'm pointing the finger right at myself. Because we all do this when it comes to our enemies. None of us loves the way we ought. And none of us is as good at loving as we think we are. That's why we read this at Lent. Because we are about to enter a season in the life of the church where we are reflecting on our loves, on our ability, our inability to love well, because we are so attached to other things that pull us away from the love of God, and our own personal inability to love our neighbor as ourself and to love our enemy. Because wouldn't you know it, our neighbor is often our enemy and our enemy is often our neighbor. I would hazard to guess probably 99% of the time. And yet this is what we are called to do, is to love our neighbor, to love our enemy. And none of us does this as well as we like to think we do. You see, when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, we read it wrong. The minister who married Natalie and I, Graham, 
wanted to read 1 Corinthians 13 at our wedding. And I said, no way, no how, Graham. You don't know what you're talking about. That is a bunch of sentimental, schlocky nonsense that has no place in our wedding. I mean, Natalie and I chose a verse from Ecclesiastes, one of the most downer books of the Bible, to be our wedding verse. We were young. We thought we were being edgy. And the verse we picked, I think, is a good one. Do you remember it? Something about... Two are better than one. If the one will fall, he'll have a companion to lift him up. Something like that. Okay, good. I passed the test. (laughs) But 1 Corinthians 13, Graham said, No, I am going to do it at your wedding, whether you like it or not, because it's not about sentiment, and it is not about patting ourselves on the back about how good we can love one another. Because think about how Paul opens this great hymn to love. He opens it by saying to his readers, both then in Corinth and now today, you are a bunch of blowhards, you are out of tune, you are nothing but clanging gongs and noisy cymbals. It's just noise. You like to think you love. You like to pat yourself on the back for how much you love, but are you really loving the way you ought? Are you really loving your enemy who is your neighbor and your neighbor who is your enemy? Of course not. We all assume that my motives are pure, that I am a patient, gentle, long-suffering, humble, meek, honest, and kind, and good person as it explains in 1 Corinthians 13. But the reality is, ask your enemy what kind of person you are, and there you'll probably get a little bit more accurate. Or not, because your enemy is in the same boat as you are, ascribing to you the very same opposite motivations that you are ascribing to them. All this to say Paul is trying to cut through the quick of the sentimentality. Because 1 Corinthians 13 and the love embodied there is a love that none of us, this side of heaven, will ever be able to achieve or perfect. Because 1 Corinthians 13 is about the love of Jesus Christ shown for all people on the cross. He is the embodiment of this perfect love. Now don't get me wrong. This is the love that we aspire to. This is the love to which we are growing toward. We want to learn this way of love of self-sacrificial abandonment to the whims of others, even if it means that we ourselves, as Jesus says, are going to be flogged upon and spit upon, because great love requires sacrifice and risk. It is a love that, as I said, we try to grow toward, but it is not a love that we should ever think that we ourselves, by our own powers, have ever attained. Because 1 Corinthians 13, as I said, is all about the embodiment of love, who is Jesus on the cross. Now, as I said, I'm not trying to rain on our parades and trying to make us feel bad, but trying to, again, recalibrate what we are about to do this Wednesday, enter into this great Lenten fast, where we intentionally focus on our inability to love God and our inability to love our neighbor as we ought, to take an honest look at ourselves and to say, am I really loving my neighbor as myself, my enemy as myself. Because Jesus on the cross 
died loving his enemies. He prays for forgiveness for them, for the very people that hung him on that cross and that mistreated him so poorly. He doesn't ask for vengeance. He asks for forgiveness. In a world where we like to point the finger and misattribute motives to other people whom we despise, the cross is the only antidote to cut through all of that. I have a fondness for Father Brown, a literary character by G.K. Chesterton. How many are familiar with the books and the, the miniseries? Okay. So I'm not going to explain the story that I'm going to refer to today. But in typical G.K. Chesterton fashion, it has a very poignant moral lesson. And the, the, the story, as I said, I'm not going to go into it, but the story centers around a group of really well-meaning people, kind of the Victorian aristocratic sense of people that, uh, that, that Chesterton writes. And he's writing about his own contemporaries, so it's like place ourselves in the same position. We're all well-meaning good people here. But then some great crime has been revealed, a crime that was actually fundamentally a betrayal of everything the people thought they knew about a particular individual, a betrayal that is unforgivable. Father Brown, of course, figures out the mystery and what has happened. And the people explode. They demand justice, they demand vengeance, they demand that the person who has betrayed them be lynched or burnt. One character even says, I wouldn't touch him with a barge pole myself. And another person, there is a limit to human charity after all. There is, said Father Brown dryly, and that is the real difference between human charity and Christian charity. You must, be, you must forgive me if I was not altogether crushed by your contempt for my uncharitableness today, or by the lectures you read about me, or by, sorry, or by the lectures you read about me pardoned for every sinner. For it seems to me that you only pardon or forgive the sins that you really don't think sinful. You only forgive criminals when they commit what you don't regard as crimes, but rather as conventions. So you will tolerate a conventional duel, and it's a, it's a pistol duel that happens in the story, just as you will tolerate a conventional divorce. You forgive because in your eyes there's nothing to actually be forgiven. But hang it all! You don't expect us to be able to forgive a vile thing like this, do you? No, said Father Brown, but we have to be able to pardon it. And then the story concludes with Father Brown giving his final parting thoughts. We have to touch such men, the betrayer, the murderer, not with a barge pole, but with benediction. We have to say the word that will save them from hell. We alone are left to discover, to deliver them from the despair when human charity deserts them. Go on your own primrose path, pardoning all your favorite vices and being generous to your fashionable crimes. And leave us with the men who commit the mean and revolting and real crimes. As St. Peter, Peter when the cock crow and the, yet the dawn came. <laughs>
The dawn? You mean hope? For him? Yes, replied Father Brown. This is the great difference between human charity, human love, and Christian charity or Christian love. Human love is mere tolerance. Mere tolerance. Because tolerance allows me to say, as long as you are over there, and you are not interfering in my space, in my life, I can tolerate that. I can let it go, I can turn a blind eye to it. But love is about entering into the space with the other person, even the person we most despise. You could put it this way. Tolerance is not a Christian virtue. Nowhere in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or other discussions of love do we see tolerance mentioned at all because tolerance is the theological equivalent of social distancing. It's a way of forcing away the undesirable, the unclean. It's a way of keeping my enemy away from me as far as possible. Tolerance is about enforcing the sameness of my group, of my people, of my tribe and just keeping them away. I tolerate them. But that's not love, is it? Because love says, I will invite, I will welcome, I will embrace. I will take the risk, I will risk the messiness, I will seek the difference of the other because I will not ascribe to them motivations that are not true. Love is about erasing those barriers that we so often easily erect. The barriers to keep our neighbor and our enemy at bay about protection. But love says no. Because the love of Jesus Christ on the cross is about the erasure of the boundary of sin between God and humanity, but it's also about the erasure between people and people. So as we go into the season of Lent, I want to invite you and to challenge you to think about who are those people that you absolutely cannot stand? Who are those neighbors who are enemies? Who are those enemies who are neighbors? And to think about how you can show them deep, real Christian love, not mere tolerance, but actual love in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.